welcome to another episode of the Spoon Mom Podcast and another little mini update episode. So it's been a few weeks since uh, we've done one of these, but uh, this week we have Jacob Inscore coming back on the podcast. So he was one of our very first guests, I think maybe the third, second or third one uh, that we ever had on the podcast. And at that time, he had just left Commune. It was still in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, They were doing to-go food. It was bare bones situation. It was him and the owner, Joe Galati, kind of doing all the to-go orders and everything that they were doing just to keep the restaurant afloat at the time. No restaurants were open and, and all that stuff that came along with the pandemic. When he was on the podcast, he had just kind of recently, you know, announced that he was leaving Commune and he was moving to New York. Uh, his partner, Liz, she is extremely talented in the world of golf. Uh, she teaches golf and also plays in tournaments. So she had an opportunity out there at a course, I think, on Long Island. Uh, and so they wound up moving to Brooklyn and Jacob, you know, moved out there and, you know, wound up working at Contra and then had some time with the pop-up and is kind of now working on a pop-up of his own too. So we kind of cover, you know, him moving to New York in the middle of the pandemic, how it's different, how it's, you know, kind of the same as it, as it was, you know, how he wound up working at Contra and how he wound up with the pop-up and everything and his plans for the future and everything too as well. So we just kind of catch up with him. It's awesome to, you know, have people back on the podcast who were, you know, the originals, you know, kind of the first 10 or so, you know, people who really kind of took a chance on us and there wasn't an established format. You know, we kind of had a loose format. Things have changed, obviously, um, with some of the questions at the end, the burning grill segment and everything like that. But, you know, for all those people to kind of just roll with it, you know, and, and take a chance on kind of coming on this podcast that was new and, you know, nobody really knew about it. And if anybody would listen and everything, and and then you know now they're able to come back on, and there's a bigger audience. You know, I can can go back to not just that first episode, but now get some updates on on what they're doing and everything, and kind of follow along um, with their career as it advances uh, is really cool, and it's really something that you know, we want to keep open doors for everybody that comes on the podcast. We want to support them as much as we can because they support us. And, you know, they supported us when they didn't have to, you know, they could have blown us off. They could have, you know, canceled, not responded, whatever, but they did. They took a chance on us. So we want to make sure that we always continue to support them and help them and pay them back as much as we can in, in terms of, you know, helping promote whatever they're doing or, you know, recommending it to people or whatever. So, it's cool to catch up with Jacob. You can follow him on Instagram at Cobezilla um, too, and that'll kind of be where he puts out any updates on his pop-up as things come to fruition. You can follow us on Instagram too as well at Spoon Mom. Make sure to visit the website, spoonmom.com. Check out all the different chef pages and sommelier pages and everything that we have up there. Links to all the episodes are up there. Any news or updates that have happened since a guest has been on the podcast, we put up there too as well. Different food photos, most of which you can find on our Instagram. But if you're looking for something specific and you're like, man, I don't want to go back through like the 200 posts in their Instagram, go to the website. You can click on the name and you can find exactly what you're kind of looking for. If you're trying to reference something or, you know, you're chatting with somebody like, I had this amazing dish at this place, but I don't have a photo of it and I can't remember exactly what it looks like. And you can kind of reference it there. So it's just kind of a cool way to connect everything through the website, but uh, you can connect with us too as well, either through the contact portal or email us directly, spoonmob at yahoo.com. But without any further delays, here's my update conversation with Chef Jacob Inscore, who is out in New York and getting his own pop-up ready, which is still untitled. Glad to have you back. I know you just got back from Italy. Since you were kind of last on this podcast, you moved to New York City. How did that go? How has New York been? 
been pretty good. It's been a little bit of a adjusting, you know, almost two years later, still adjusting, but uh, <laughs> it's been really great. Had you been to New York before you moved there ever, like visit or anything? A little bit, but not for any extended period of time. Like I've only been there, I think maybe twice before I actually moved there. It's great. You know, it's like, uh, I didn't think there would be as much adjustment needed as there has been just as far as like the inconvenience of everything. Everything is an inconvenience almost. And uh, learning to kind of just let go of any control you think you have when you're relying on public transportation, businesses being open or not, things like that. Like the day-to-day, is it's a lot different than getting in your car and driving five minutes somewhere, you know? Now, you guys are out on Long Island, right? Yeah, my partner, she teaches in Long Island, but we live in Bed-Stuy in Brooklyn. I know they were doing like a giant renovation project to one of the train routes like a couple of years ago that was taken forever. I don't remember exactly which one it was. I'm not too sure either. I know that there was like a big renovation on most trains. It's like a never ending project as well. And that's the other thing. You never know if your train's actually running or not. Like the MTA, they have an app, but that app, whether or not it's like actually updated is another story. There was like a big one, especially after the hurricane, Hurricane Sandy, they shut down quite a bit of trains when that went through. And then We had another, it wasn't categorized as a hurricane, but it was a tropical storm that came through probably last year in like August. And that like messed up quite a bit of transportation as well. Was New York everything that you expected it to be upon arrival? I suppose so. I personally never had a desire to move to New York. I'm really happy that we're there now, but it was more of like, you know, making lemonade, you know, out of the lemons. You know, because like it's a... It's an environment that like is something that's never been very appealing to me as far as, you know, the layout of everything and logistics. I am really happy that we're there now. And, you know, I've made a lot of really, I think, lasting relationships and, you know, a lot of great friends have come out of this and a lot of amazing opportunity as well. The opportunity there is just like reason enough to stay aside from everything else. It's so vast, you know. It took a while for the restaurant scene to open back up in New York. I mean, I don't even think it was fully open when you guys moved there. I think it was probably another four to six months. So, you know, what was kind of that like? Because eventually you wind up working at Contra. But was that first choice on your list? Was it just kind of like, I'd like to work at all these places, but half of these aren't open kind of thing? When we were moving, you know, I had like, sort of this conscious decision in my head to lay low for a little bit because you know coming from commune right out of the pandemic i was pretty beat down in a sense you know like i was pretty exhausted and and in every way you can imagine mentally emotionally physically so i wanted to take a break from restaurants and when we got there we had lunch at Wilder when they were doing sandwiches. And I was like, yeah, let's go there. I love that place. You know, why not? As we're eating, I was like, man, this is a really fucking good sandwich, you know? And like, it just made me kind of like excited again. And it was just a stupid sandwich. It was a great sandwich, but it's like such a small gesture that made a really big impact on me. Right before I had left Columbus, I had coffee with BJ from Chapman's and we were talking he he asked me like where are you gonna go and i was like dude i don't have any idea you know like it'd be cool to work at like per se or any of those like really high elevated you know places but i when i got there i kind of lost that feeling and then i texted him out of the blue and i was like hey do you know the guys at wilder and he was like yeah so one thing led to another 30 minutes after our lunch i got a text from fabian 
the one of the owners of Wild Air and Contra. And he was like, hey, I heard you're looking for a job. And then later that week, I literally sat down with him and Jeremiah and uh, we talked for like an hour. And then the following week, I had a stodge lined up with him. And, and it all kind of like just fell into place accidentally, for sure, because of BJ's, uh, you know, uh, help for sure. But it was kind of funny how it happened, me not wanting to do anything. And then all of a sudden, two weeks after moving there, I already have a job lined up. They were looking for somebody at Wilder to be the sous chef. I was originally going there for that job. And then at the end of my my trail, my stage, Jeremiah was texting me and he said, you know, we're looking for people at Contra as well, if you're interested. I didn't realize that was on the plate. And I'm like, you know, I've always wanted to work at a place like this. And it kind of checks the original box I had of like wanting to work for a Michelin restaurant. They had a place open and and I took it. Three weeks after moving there, I was working at Contra. That seems like a a pretty good spot for you to land in. Like it's a smaller restaurant too, as well. Like it's not super big in size, not inside like of a hotel where you're going to be doing a bunch of covers or anything. So it seemed like almost like a natural progression, a natural kind of fit too, as well. Right. It's kind of like checked everything on my box as far as like what it was and what it looked like, you know, like, like you said, smaller restaurant still has a great reputation, small kitchen, small team. So it's like a little bit more intimate. It's something that Joe, the owner of Commune, he and I would always talk about, like like how cool it would be to open up another place, a little bit smaller, a little bit more intimate. And then that's exactly the kind of place I went to as soon as I moved to New York. Very like fulfilling in that sense, you know. It was pretty great. Serendipitous, you know. So you're there about a year? Yeah, there for just about exactly a year. It was like a very quick, a lot of changes very fast. So we reopened Contra as just a takeout place. And we were doing like a Chinese takeout menu, Jeremiah's menu. And we reopened the dining room, I think, in May of last year, end of May. And, you know, for me, that was like a pretty big change. Like we, we were really like, there's only two of us working uh, for the takeout menu, me and one other guy. As soon as we reopened the restaurant, the guy that they had hired to be their sous chef quit. And it was like a very like, we were all so excited to have him because, you know, he has this great reputation from the French Laundry. And then for whatever reason, it never worked out. So then we were just like, OK, what are we going to do? At that point, we had already hired like a few other people to come on to fill in the places like working the line, um, so to speak. But, you know, we were kind of starting from scratch again as far as that goes. But, you know, kind of the same thing that went on at Commune, like two months after I'd started, they offered me a position, like a higher position. So after that guy quit, they were like, do you want it? And I was like, well, <laughs> this again, like everything I was trying to not do was it wasn't happening. You know, I didn't want to work in a restaurant. I started a restaurant three weeks later. I didn't want a position in management. I got offered one two months later. So I actually said no, probably three times. And I was like, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want that responsibility, especially here, not now. And they just kept asking and worked it out and to the point where I was comfortable with it. And I was like, all right. I think Jeremiah did like a collaboration dinner, a couple of them too, over the course of the last year. Were you involved with any of that or were you strictly only at the restaurant? I had actually left right before those collaborations started. Like that's something we had always talked about doing while I was there, but it was... We were so busy and, you know, kind of rebuilding the foundation for the restaurant. I just don't think that it ever made sense because, you know, within the first six months of us being reopened, there was like a lot of changes happening as far as like the way we do things. Because it used to be 
a tasting menu only restaurant. And then once we reopened, we decided to make it a an a la carte and tasting menu restaurant because we wanted it to be still approachable and affordable because the prices that they would do for tasting menus prior to the pandemic, they just weren't feasible anymore. You couldn't get away with it because it was like, I think it was less than 90 bucks for a tasting menu. And then once we reopened, it was 100 That's insane for New York. You probably can't do tasting menu for anything less than 175 Even outside of New York, you can't do it for less than $90. You know, like you can, but you're not making money at that point. Their thing was that they were the only people doing that. Where you could get six courses for under 100 bucks. It's like, you're crazy. You know, and they were told so many times, you guys are absolutely insane. You need to stop this. You know, that's part of the reason that they got to the point where they're at. It's worked out until, unfortunately, it couldn't. And it was really interesting, too, working with, you know, an a la carte menu and a carte blanche is what we refer to it as, like the pick and choose menu. The, the chefs were the one picking and choosing, not the guests. It was a really interesting dynamic that I never worked with before. And I think everybody on the team was like super stoked about it. So then you wound up doing some stuff with a pop-up, right? Corima, yeah, is the name. So it's my friend Fidel Caballero. He was the sous chef at Contra before myself. We had gotten to know each other through like him popping in, you know, once a month to help us out when we needed it. And then he had done like a residency at this place, Rodora, which is in Brooklyn, this really beautiful wine bar. And he kind of like hit the ground running. You know, people loved his food and he and I got pretty close and he's like, hey, I'm going to do this thing if you're up for it. Because at that point, I'd been done with Contra for a couple months. It was six weeks long. It was really, really, really cool. It was just the two of us. I was really happy to kind of take a backseat to somebody else's, you know, baby again. Because I was still like, you know, feeling pretty rough, like for, for reasons that we can get into in a little bit, like I was just feeling pretty down after leaving Contra. And so I wanted to ease my way back into cooking and doing a pop up with somebody that I really got along with, I think was a really great way to get back into it. Is that like an idea for a concept for a restaurant that he has? Or was it strictly like, I just kind of want to cook, let's put together some dinners kind of thing? I mean, it was a little bit of both, you know, he... So his restaurant concept is Korima, but the pop-up we were doing, it was just Fidel. So it's kind of like a more casual approach to his ultimate concept that he wants. But it'll be like along the lines of the same kind of uh, region of food that he's cooking from, which is Northern Mexican food. He's from El Paso, Texas. So he grew up on the border and it's kind of like his homage to that and elevating it in a way that I've never seen, you know. You see a lot of Tex-Mex, but you don't see a lot of Northern Mexican specific food, you know, that I'm aware of. And I think his food really speaks for itself. And it's, I had a blast doing it and learned a lot cooking with him. And we just had a great time. So now what are you doing now that the pop-up is over with? That's a question I ask myself all the time. I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm in the process of setting up some pop-ups for myself. Where they go, we'll see, but I'm trying to kind of still ease back into it. There's a couple bars in Brooklyn that I've been talking to about doing like a pretty like casual bar menu for. Eventually, I'd like to do a residency program in another actual restaurant space as well. Make it a little bit more sit down friendly, a little bit more about the food, less about having a bite at a bar. But, you know, I'm trying to get into a little bit of my background and my heritage, which is Brazilian cooking. My mother's whole side of the family, all from Brazil. I'm a first generation on her side, and it's the food I cook at home. 
but I've never cooked for other people. Maybe at Commune, there was a couple things influenced by that, but there wasn't anything like fully, none of it was as nostalgic as what it's going to be with these next few pop-ups that I'm trying to do. Yeah, I can't think of any Brazilian restaurants off like the top of my head, except for Radizio Grill or whatever it is. When they go around with the meat and they slice it off on the stick, that's like all I can come up with. That's for sure a very Brazilian thing. Every once in a while, maybe once a year, I'll go to it. It's called uh, Churrasco, which is like grill house, churrascaria. Yeah, you have a lot of those. Like the Texas Jew Brazil is another one. Uh, I think there's one at Easton or something. I think it's a fun way to get people interested in Brazilian food. But like you said, you know, like how many other Brazilian restaurants outside of that concept are there? There, For sure, where I am, there's a ton in Astoria, but like right next to Queens. But there's not much in Ohio. If you go outside the 270 belt, there's a couple, but it's very, very small. And it's mostly grocery and like a small little like you get like all the hits like feijoada, which is like a bean stew. And then like coxinha, which are like little fried chicken croquettes. But it's hard to find like anything other than like the top five. So with creating kind of this pop up, what level, I guess, of a of a pop up is it? Because there's a wide range where you're doing all the prep at one place and you're bringing everything there and you're providing, you know, the plateware and like all that stuff too. Or is it these places will kind of have an established kitchen. So kind of do all that there and really see how the food flows and how it works. In the past, I've done pop-ups out of like people's homes and things like that because I didn't want there to be like an aesthetic that I couldn't control. It's a little bit easier in somebody's home because it's not set up to serve people. But no, these will be in already established kitchens and things like that. You know, the first couple ones are going to be a little bit more casual. So the kitchens might only have like a deep fryer and a flat top and that's it. You know, whereas down the road, eventually, I want to end up in a place that has like a full dining room, a full kitchen. And there are plenty of restaurant spaces around New York that are doing like three month long residency programs. So it's like they're, they're fitted out for that. You have places like Fulgurances, Laundromat, which is in Greenpoint is a really good example of a concept where the, it's like a beautiful kitchen setup, a beautiful bar setup. You know, everything's like made to be a restaurant. It is for all intents and purposes its own space, but they host a new chef every three to six months. You know, there's a lot of room for that in New York as far as being able to do something that isn't so permanent while doing it in a already established space, you know. I think the famous ones are like Chef's Club, which is in Manhattan, and then Blue Hill at Stone Barns kind of turned their situation into like a chef residency like that too. But yeah, obviously there's way more spaces, but I think those are like probably the two that people might know of. Do you know what you're going to call the pop-up? I'm just going to start with my own name. One of the things that like me and my buddy were talking about is that, and this is probably looking at it with like very close lens because I tend to overanalyze everything, but it's pop-ups that start out with a name as opposed to just like the chef's cooking. I feel like it has this kind of like, for me, I'm less interested in the concept and more interested in the person and getting to know the person first before trying their food than it is about like that when you do a pop-up, so many things can go wrong and almost always do go wrong. And so instead of trying to push out this concept that is fully formed in your head and all the like bumps it's going to go across doing it in a space you're not familiar with, prefer the idea of just starting out with just your name and getting used to a space 
and then developing it from there. Because, you know, I have a concept in mind that I already want to do down the road, but that's probably going to change however many times before I actually get there and kind of going with the flow before committing to something, I think for me is like an easier way to approach it. So is living in Brooklyn going to be like a long-term goal for you guys then? Because there's always this saying like about New York City, you should leave New York essentially before it chews you up and like you become this different person where like you're walking down like the street and you're just angry at everybody because this person's walking too slow or this person's standing in the middle of the sidewalk. And like, that's like the moment, you know, when you have that realization, like I'm not myself anymore, I need to leave. Like, are you guys going to be there for a while or what do you think? Well, I mean, first of all, I have already become a very irritated person. Nothing is satisfactory. You know, it's driving. I, I've turned into a lunatic. Ask my girlfriend, you know, she calls me Larry all the time in reference of Larry David, where every little thing gets under my skin. But I mean, as far as long term goes, like probably not. While we're both really like in love with where we are right now in New York, for me, it's not someplace I want to be more than seven years or something. You know, like I, if we're there for that long, that's great, but I, it's not someplace where we're going to buy a home or anything. There's a couple other places that I'd like to live before settling down and like putting our roots in, you know, namely the West Coast for my own personal reasons. It's a place where I'd like to spend a decent amount of time in and learn a little bit more. New York is great. It's a place for sure. Like, yeah, I like I get irritated by everything. Ultimately, once you get to where you're going, it's all good. Everybody talks about like how like hustle and bustle New York is like, yeah, sure. Like that's one, but like, it's mostly just because there's just so many damn people, you know, and you just, you just want to get to where you are and stop worrying about people. We love it, but it's not forever. Talking with like other people, that have been in New York, you know, especially New York City and, and Brooklyn through the pandemic. Is it back to like pre-pandemic New York or is it still different? I can't say speak on this too much because I don't know too much about New York prior to the pandemic. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it, it feels like COVID was never a thing. Like, I think that New York's been really good compared to a lot of other cities as far as like mask mandates and things like that and the way people really follow it. But as of now, most people, they don't have their mask on at any point. So to me, it feels like COVID was never there. As somebody who's overly cautious, I definitely feel like it's still there. And I'm pretty like reserved as far as like interacting with people, especially like on the train and things like that. But you go out to a bar, you look in, it's packed to the gills, you know, on a weekend. So it's, it's gone. You know, I'm still very worried about COVID, but a lot of people aren't, you know, so. Probably the most important question, when you fly out of New York, which airport do you use? We try to use JFK. JFK is the closest to us. You know, if you're to choose LaGuardia or JFK, I think LaGuardia might be a little bit easier to navigate, but JFK is so much closer and Newark is not even an option. Newark is the worst. That's why I want to ask that question. I was just like, I wonder if he's going to say Newark, but it's like perennially rated the worst airport that we have in the country. Like it's so awful. My girlfriend, she was just in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago playing in a golf match and she came back. She flew back into Newark. She asked me to pick her up from Newark. I'm like, can you get out of JFK, please? And she's like, well, I could, but it's going to be $300 more. And I'm like, oh my God. So that was the first time we've been to Newark since we moved to New York, but it's a God awful place. No, it's cool to hear that, uh, you know, you got a pop-up in the works. 
and you're getting back into kind of cooking and, and doing your own thing and, and doing some cuisine that's important to you for reasons, you know, heritage and ancestry and everything. There's not a whole lot of Brazilian restaurants here in Columbus. You know, there's probably more, obviously, in, in New York, especially in certain parts of Queens where you have that whole strip of just food carts and stuff. And probably even, I would imagine, kind of like uh, the Bronx area too as well. There's a lot of kind of residents who have lived there in the city for years and years and years, it seems like. So it's cool to hear that, you know, you're still in the kitchen, still something I think that you have passion for, you know, you just had to kind of work your way through it. It's been a journey, you know, the the last six months now, I think, since I, I left Contra. And well, when I started there, I started with a ton of baggage from leaving Commune, you know, and it wasn't like because of the restaurant, it was because of being in the restaurant during like the peak of the pandemic and when we were doing that when we reopened commune for takeout and it was just joe and i working we did a lot you know like we were there till like two three in the morning most nights and then i think throughout the whole time that i was there till i left we went through probably like seven different concepts and like 14 different menus like for me once december hit i had just reached a point of like i'm used up you know there's nothing left in me you know and 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 I know that like a lot of other people have felt that way as well. And, you know, a lot of friends of mine too have left the industry completely because of it. You know, there's no shame in that. Like I've contemplated it more times than I care to count. Like maybe I just don't go back to a kitchen, you know, and that thought still lingers a little bit. But I think at this point, you know, I've been cooking for almost 10 years. And if I decided to to hang it up now, I'd kind of be kicking myself. Like, what did I work so hard for? Like, there's something I want to do. And if it doesn't work, then maybe then I'll consider it. But I, I think right now I'm trying to kind of like fight myself almost to like get the most out of my experiences thus far, just to see what I can make out of it. And maybe that's a restaurant, you know, and and where that's going to be, I don't know. But hopefully sooner than later, you know, I, I have more answers for that. Keep us updated on kind of the, the progress. I mean, keep an eye out on obviously your Instagram. I'm sure you'll be posting some announcements and everything when, when all that stuff gets set up and different dates and, and stuff and look forward to vicariously living through, uh, people that live in New York, you and Matt Larkin pretty much in this like restaurant Mecca. Good to see that the New York move worked out, that you guys are enjoying the city. Like I said, looking forward to seeing what you come up with with the pop up and, and all the food to come with it and the Brazilian sounds interesting. It sounds if uh, by some miracle you can get out there when you're doing a pop-up, that'd be great. But uh, if not, hopefully there's a, a lot of them that you wind up doing. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, that's the plan. As always, appreciate you coming on the podcast, staying in touch. If you ever need anything from us, just let us know. Hey, man. Yeah, nice talking to you. Always a pleasure. Find yourself in New York. Let us know. Big thanks again to Jacob for coming back on the podcast, catching up with me and talking about his move to New York and future plans and everything like that and and his plans for the pop-up and kind of what he has in the works. And I think we all kind of forget a little bit about just how weird everything was during the pandemic. You know, restaurants are closed. We're all kind of locked inside. You know, people that were working in offices five days a week were told to work from home for the first time ever. So there's all these things that I think we kind of forget about. And when you go back and kind of reference some of that stuff with somebody that like you talk to during that time, you know, it brings back all these different 
memories in a way where you're like, oh yeah, like that was going on or this was happening. Like, you know, people were scraping by doing to-go food, you know, by themselves or nobody was working. There was no funding. We didn't know when it was going to end. You know, it was like, there was no vaccine for, you know, a number of months. Like that wasn't even a thing. And it was like, are they going to have one? Like all that stuff. So just over kind of the last two years, you know, where everything wound up starting and then where we're at now is like night and day. So you forget about those things, but it was still cool to catch up with Jacob and see everything's going well. And, you know, he found that passion again for cooking and he's going to stay in the industry and he's starting to work on his own stuff and pushing to, you know, maybe open a restaurant of his own one day. So again, you can follow him on Instagram at Cobezilla. You can follow us there too, as well at Spoon Mob. Check out the website, spoonmob.com and make sure to follow, subscribe to the podcast on wherever you get your podcasts from. But that's it for uh, this little mini update of an episode. We'll have a few other people on the way. Um, these come out kind of sporadically. We usually drop them on a Monday or Tuesday, you know, kind of a week after we record them. Um, new episodes come out on Thursdays. Those drop at 1 a.m. You can also check out uh, our YouTube channel. Everything comes out a week later there in arrears. But uh, we appreciate everybody listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode and we will talk to you guys later.